morning, everyone. Oh, my microphone just went right on. Wow, that's cool. Um, this is a pretty intimidating-looking thing, isn't it? Uh, not, um, not quite the same kind of cross you're accustomed to seeing, huh? And I, I understand that was sort of the point of uh, Ross's sermon last week, if you were here. And I'm going to try not to run into it and come home with a big, like, knot on my forehead. When my son was two years old, he was the same height as the tables in our house, you know, about three years old. And he walked around with this constant black and blue mark. And sometimes it was this side of his head, and sometimes it was this side of his head. And I was sure I was going to get calls from the, uh, you know, the child services department of the county because my son had big bruises all over his head all the time. Anyway, uh, that was a side. If you have your Bibles with you, open up to Luke chapter 14. Uh, Ross has conceived a, uh, a sermon series for you on leading up to Easter, and it can- contains some of the more difficult teachings of Jesus, and uh, so it's really challenging, and um, so I, I've been challenged to uh, continue that. My name is Brian Weber, by the way. I am the um, uh, pastor of mission at Grace Point, which is the sister church of Restoration Church, and I oversee the um, global and community service endeavors of the church, and so that's who I am. If you're meeting me for the first time, it's my pleasure to be here with you this morning. So um, if you're using your pew Bibles, or the ones in the back, this is page 848, and the New Testament goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're going to look in the, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, starting with verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus... And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? And if he is not able, he will send a delegation, while the other is still a long way off and will seek And will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Have you ever had an experience in your life that just totally changed your perspective? You know, made you like rethink a lot of your priorities or your behaviors? You know, I had an experience about like that a couple years ago. I um, was tasked as part of my, my uh, role over at Grace Point. I was tasked to go down to South America to the country of Bolivia. And uh, along with an organization called Compassion International, I don't, if you're familiar with them, they are a, a child sponsorship program. Um, and uh, they, uh, their, their theme is to, their mission is to rescue children from poverty in Jesus' name. So I went down to check out what 
uh, Compassion was doing in the country. And we went and did these home visits. Like we went and visited people's homes um, who were part of um, uh, Gabby smiling because she went down with me on one of these trips over there. So, um, but uh, we went to people's homes, and this was really challenging for me because uh, uh, Bolivia is like the second or third poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. The average salary of people when they work is about $150 a month, and so folks live on about th- less than $3 a day. And when you go to a person's home, this is Elena, by the way. It's one of the women that we met, and um, just use her as an example because this was one of the most difficult experiences that I, I think I've had in my life. I, I went to her home. She was part of the sponsorship program, and uh, the home was four walls, maybe about the size of your bedroom, and um, everything for the home was inside. It was mud wall, a mud floor, uh, brick walls, like a corrugated steel roof, and, and um, that was it. The whole family... Uh, lived in there, and um, there was a bed for mom and dad, and the opposite side of the room, there was a bed where a child had slept. Um, the child had recently passed away. And the child's name was the same name as um, my daughter. And so I was, like, without words. Actually, I just started to feel a little emotional <laughs> bringing it up. And, um, and I, I, I could do nothing in there. I, I'm glad the others were there to um, talk with her, to console her. And, and it was a, a death by, a, you know, a, um, a disease, uh, you know, a disease that could be prevented, you know, um, if they lived in the United States and had more resources. And, and so it was an experience like that that challenged me. When I came back, then I knew I was determined, along with others in our church, to, to forge a partnership with Compassion International. And now, um, there are, are many, uh, dozens of families over at Grace Point that are part of the sponsorship program uh, to, help, to help families like Elena's. But when I was down there, I, I was, I was um, challenged that, that faith is not something that we just believe, that Jesus intends us to live according to our faith. You know, Jesus challenges us and asks us questions like, are we prepared to be Christians all the time or just when it's convenient? And the Gospel of Luke records several conversations that Jesus has with people along the way and uh, in which he, he, he talks about this topic with them. And Ross talked about one of these passages last week in Luke chapter 9, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 14 today. And um, he calls the, um, the series Following Jesus to the Glorious End, which is really appropriate because in, in the Gospel of Luke, it's set up how Luke shares the story about Jesus. He, he does it with a little geography. You know, it's kind of some creative license that he's doing here. Um, he, he has the story starting in Galilee in the north, and the story follows Jesus from Galilee south to Jerusalem, and it ends in Jerusalem. And, of course, we all know what happens in Jerusalem, right? He's crucified. And uh, along the way, Jesus picks up people. And so the Gospel of Luke follows this kind of theme, following Jesus to the glorious end. And in Luke chapter 14, verses 23 through 35, Jesus challenges the, the, the disciples and the crowds who were following him, and he also challenges you and me today. If we are determined to follow Jesus, then we need to count the costs. And so let's look at um, some of these As we go along, we'll just take a a few verses at a time. First, it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said. I just want to stop there. Jesus is really popular right now in his ministry. You know, he has been doing amazing things. He's uh, healed people with diseases that doctors couldn't heal. 
He, um, he even uh, raised a dead girl back to life again, you know. And uh, his teaching, people say his teaching were, were, was amazing. It wasn't the same kind of teaching because it was that, like they would hear if they went to the synagogue and listened to the Pharisees or the rabbis. And it, was, it was bold. And so he is like the superstar. And people are coming from everywhere to see this guy. But why are they there? Maybe they're curious. Maybe they just want to see who this man is. Maybe they just want to see something amazing, you know? Like we might buy tickets to the circus or to a blockbuster movie. Maybe um, they have a, a disease or a, a, a disability, and Jesus is their last hope. They want something from Jesus. But they, they're all there. And so at this point in the story, what these crowds following him as Jesus is walking along the road, he feels compelled to address the crowds. He wants them to think about why they are there. Why are they determined to follow him? Do they know what this will mean for them? You know, we live in a world today where two billion people claim to be Christians. That's a huge number. That's a big crowd. And, and each of us have to ask those same questions. Are, are you determined to follow Jesus with your life? Or are you just investigating Jesus today? Have you thought about why you are here at church today? You know, we could be just like these crowds. And so when Jesus turns to them and talks to them, he's also turning, as we read this today, he's also talking to us. And this is what he says, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate Father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. What? Now that's unexpected. I mean, Jesus' message all along is about love and compassion towards others, so we got to really pay attention to this. I mean, I can imagine, they, they said Jesus' teaching was amazing, so I can just imagine the people along the road, if they heard him say this, they'd be like, man, did you just hear what he said? No rabbi or or, or teacher that they knew would say anything like that. You know, Jesus often taught the people by telling parables and stories. And so there's a lot of things when we listen to Jesus say something like this, we have to say, well, what does Jesus mean? He doesn't mean for us to take these words literally. And in this case, he's using a figure of speech called hyperbole, which is an exaggerated comparison. When he says that we are to hate our family members, he doesn't mean it literally. He means that the love that we have for Jesus must be far greater than the love that we have for even our most um, beloved people in our life. That in comparison to our love to Jesus, it would seem like we hated everybody else. He must be our first love. And so sometimes our love for Jesus might cause conflict with our family and our friends and our neighbors. Are you ready for that? You know, the people of God were always meant to live differently than everybody else. It's the way it's always intended to be. You know, uh, uh, Christians have been called a peculiar people strangers in the world. And if you go even to the, the, the beginning of the story of the Bible... You'll see something like this, Leviticus chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, it says, The Lord said to Moses, okay, 
Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live. You must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you to live. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws. And be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. And the same is true today. When we follow the teachings of Jesus, we will act differently than our neighbors and our family and our culture and our coworkers. You know, they may call you a bigot or narrow-minded. They might tease you or exclude you from parties. Your family members might worry about you and think that you're taking your faith too seriously. They might think that you are too religious. Are you ready for that? You know, in some places around the world, it is actually dangerous to be a Christian. For example, there's a a woman in Pakistan. She's a a believer in Jesus. And and after getting into an argument with um, some women in, in her workplace... Uh, they um, were trying to convince her that she should uh, convert to Islam because it's an Islamic country. And when she refused to do so, uh, they told the authorities and arrested her and charged her with blasphemy. And uh, that's a, um, a crime that's punishable by death. And uh, she spent five years in prison because she's appealing the process and there's been a whole lot of delays. But her next hearing is April 14th. Her name is Asia Bibi. You can read her story on, uh, from an organization called Voice of the Martyrs that advocates for religious freedom, and they share personal stories like this at www.persecution.com. You know, in the United States of America, we don't face that kind of harsh you know, reality because of our faith. We enjoy an amazing freedom of religion. But Jesus said this is the reality for people who are determined to follow him. And at the same time, Jesus is fiercely loyal. He doesn't ask this from us and then throw us under the bus and leave us there. This is what he said, for example, in Matthew chapter 5. These are Jesus' words. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against, against you because of me. Rejoice and be, bla- be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Jesus says to the crowds that day, this is what it means to follow me. He continues, verse 27, And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now Jesus carried an actual cl- cross. And, and died on it. And very few Christians, you know, after that time, like, I mean, a few hundred of them maybe in the first century when there were the Roman persecutions and so forth actually died on a cross. But, you know, in Christian history, very few people actually died on a cross. Jesus means, again, for us to take this figuratively for us. And so we have to ask a question. What did it mean for Jesus to die on a cross? And Ross talked about it a little bit last week. I'll give you a different perspective. For example, Jesus said this in John chapter 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. 
Jesus knew that he had come for a mission, that he was supposed to go to Jerusalem and die on a cross and rise from the grave to pay for the, 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 the penalty of all the evil in the world so that anyone who believes in him can have forgiveness with God, peace with God, and eternal life. That was his mission. That was the will of God in his life. And so for Jesus, to carry the cross was to do the will of God. Jesus also said this in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man, referring to himself, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave, he made it possible for us to have a personal relationship with God that starts now and lasts forever in heaven. This is the work of the gospel. So for Jesus, the cross meant to do the will of God, and the cross meant to do the work of the gospel. And so what do these things mean for us? God is calling us to live a life that is bigger than ourselves. He desires us to achieve something for his sake, which is much bigger and grander than anything that we could do for ourselves. He says, carry the cross and follow me. And so in other words, we should not live our lives to do our own will, but to do the will of God. And what does that mean? Well, God tells us what his will is. That's what this is, the Bible. God inspired human authors to write down his words in the Bible so that we would have everything that we need to know to live life for him. And so when we read the Bible and we do what it says, we do the will of God. And God asks us to trust him by following the Bible. And if we do, God promises that we will live better, more fulfilling lives than we could achieve on our own. And so to, to carry our cross means to do the will of God. To carry the cross means to do the work of the gospel. And in the Bible, that means to share the good news of Jesus to others. To, to share the love of Jesus through our actions and our words. To actively make a difference, a positive difference in this world in Jesus' name. To help our brothers and sisters to grow stronger in their faith, our fellow Christians just grow stronger in their faith, to help each other raise our families to love the Lord. That's to do the work of the gospel. This is what it means to carry the cross and follow Jesus. Is that what you want? It's not going to be easy. Jesus just asks us to count the costs and to know what it means to follow him. He continues, because he wants to drive his point home, and so he uses these two illustrations. Um, Verse 28, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Uh, my wife grew up in one of the sections here, not, not far from here, and um, she recalled a story. There was a neighbor who wanted to put an addition on their house and was doing most of the work themselves, like many of us do, and um, he, uh, you know, had, had built the addition but ran out of money and never got the siding on the house, and it just went for years and years and years as a room with, like, the 
plywood exterior with the black paper on it, you know? And that just became like the neighborhood eyesore. You know, during the time that Jesus lived, farmers would build towers in their fields and then have people keep watch so that thieves wouldn't come and steal the grapes. And a tower was really expensive to build, and so Jesus is using this illustration. The farmer needs to know if he has enough money to build the tower. If he starts to build it and doesn't complete it, everyone will know it and laugh at him. And remember that Jesus is speaking to the crowds who are following him. You know, they're just tag-alongs, walking down the street. And Jesus wants them to know that there's a difference between just walking down the street behind him and being a follower, and being a disciple of his. And even today, there's a difference between calling yourself a Christian and being a disciple of Jesus. Uh, A friend of mine who's a pastor in the area has a really clear, succinct definition of a disciple. I like it a lot. The word disciple, uh, the original word simply means a learner. But this is what he says. He says, a disciple is someone who is learning to fully live as Jesus lived while leading others to do the same. And Jesus said that being a disciple is like, grow, is like building a tower. It's a work in progress, but you must be committed to finishing the task. You know, we don't need to be perfect to follow Jesus, but are you willing to let God work on you? You know, a lot of people are saying no to that question. In 2011, a major survey reported that only 20% of high school students who grow up in churches will still be actively involved in the Christian faith by age 30. And um, there's, a, there's a, a larger church in our area, a really good church. I know some of the pastors there, and they told me, how um, they, they recognized this reality in their congregation. So they made a support, they developed like a support group Bible study uh, for parents whose uh, adult children have walked away from the faith, and they advertised it in the church, and they had 60 couples signed up for it. See, people who are Christians in name only eventually walk away from the faith. They start to build the tower, but they never complete it. How about you? Jesus is not teaching that we need to be perfect in order to be Christians. Rather, you know, faith is a gift that God gives to people who already realize that they're messed up. But God who gives us faith and offers us forgiveness through Jesus is the same God that gives us what we need to build our, you know, to build us up and to become the people that he wants us to be. Each one of us is a restoration project. We don't fix ourselves up in order to please God. Instead, we turn our lives over to God, and he begins to work on us from the inside out. He teaches us to say no to ungodliness and selfish desires and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And a good disciple recognizes that the restoration project is never finished. You know, sometimes it requires tearing down the bad things in our life in order to build up good things that are, that are new. And the restoration project is never easy or pleasant, but the person who emerges in the end is way better than the person 
that started at the beginning. A disciple is someone who is learning to fully live as Jesus lived while leading others to do the same. And Jesus asks you, are you ready for that? Then follow me. Okay, Jesus shares another story here in verse 31. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So this illustration is about a king who's deciding whether or not he can go to war. And he needs to decide whether he can win this battle or not. And if he knows he can't win, then a wise king is going to negotiate peace. You know, he he might end up having to um, pay a large amount of taxes to this new conquering king. Or or maybe he gives up everything he has, all the treasury that, that he owns in order to save the lives of his people. And Jesus says that those who want to follow him must make a similar choice. Every person must negotiate peace with God. And we have two choices. We can live life, first choice is we can live life however we want to, no matter what God says. That would be active rebellion against God, like going to war against God, a war we could never win. Or we could surrender our lives to God and make peace with him. And Jesus lived as an example of somebody who was completely surrendered to God. He did only what God wanted him to do. He said only what God wanted him to say. And so Jesus says, follow me. And there's a story about a, it's like a folk story, kind of like a modern day fable about a, uh, a boy in South India. And he loves to play the game marbles. And so he always carried around in his pocket like this big pocket full of marbles and uh, there was one marble that was like his favorite one. It was a blue one. It was a little bigger. And it was really good at you know, knocking the other marbles you know, away so he could win. And as long as he had this blue marble, he knew he could win a lot of games. And so he was kind of a confident little guy walking around challenging people and trying to win their marbles. And uh, so he's walking down the road one day, and he sees a little girl who's got a bag of chocolates. And as much as the boy loves the game marbles, he has a weakness for chocolates. And so he's talking to this girl, and his stomach starts to grumble, and he thinks to himself, man, i got to get my hands on those chocolates. So he has a plan, and he says to the girl, how about I give you all the marbles in my pocket for all of those chocolates? The girl says, that sounds fair. So the boy puts his hand in his pocket, and he feels around for his favorite blue marble, and he pushes the blue marble all the way to the bottom of his pocket, and he pulls out all the other marbles and gives it to the girl, and the girl gives him the chocolates. And he walks away all proud of himself because he's got his blue marble, and he has all the chocolates. And as he's, you know, feeling that blue marble in his pocket, he pauses, he turns to the girl and says, wait a second, did you give me all of your chocolates? See how the fable's supposed to go? You know, our human nature gives us the same kind of defiant attitude as this little boy. 
You know, we, we, we want everything from God. We want the, the peace that we can have from God, the, the security of knowing that God is with us all the time, the, the forgiveness that we can have from him, the, um, you know, the, the assurance that we will one day live forever in heaven. We want all of these things for God, but we're not willing to give up everything to have them in return, to have it. Giving up everything means recognizing that God has claim on all areas of our lives. And we all seem to have like that little blue marble that we want to hold on to for ourselves. I mean, have you given God control over everything, your possessions, your family, your life? Do you trust God fully to take care of you? You know, these are hard questions because it's kind of easy to say that or to think that you've given everything to God when, in fact, you've only given those things that are convenient to give. And remember that becoming a disciple is a work in in progress. It's hard to count the cost in this way because we don't don't actually know what God will require from us, you know? We, We can't see the future, but we can follow Jesus with the understanding that God has access to everything we have. That he could ask for anything. Are you willing to do that? Finally, Jesus says in verse 34, salt is good, but if if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. So if you ask a chemistry teacher, my wife is a chemistry teacher, if you ask her um, about salt, she'll tell you that salt can never lose its saltiness. It, It will just, you know, dissolve, okay? But if you have an impure salt, then when the salt dissolves, the impurities will remain. And what good are those impurities, right? So, like, we understand this. In the wintertime, we just went through this winter, they spread salt out on the roads, okay? But the salt is mixed with cinders. And so the salt dissolves and has the effect of, 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 um, uh, you know, melting the snow. And then when that's all done, especially when it's springtime now, what's left on the road? All that, those dirty cinders. And then, you know, the public works has to come and try to remove it from the street or... We're busy sweeping it off of our curbs and sidewalks and things like that and washing it off our cars. In the same way, in, in, in Jesus' time, they had impure salt. And so this, they would keep the salt and use the salt, but over time the salt would dissolve and all that was left were these excess minerals and they couldn't do anything with them, so they threw them away. And this is Jesus' point. The salt is useful, but the excess mi- minerals are not. In the same way, a disciple is useful to Jesus, but a simple tag-along is not. For example, it says in Ephesians 2, verse 10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God saved you for a purpose. He has work for you to do. Bill Bright is the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. And the first of his four spiritual laws says this, God loves you and has a wonderful purpose for your life. Do you believe that? 
More importantly, are you willing to find out what that purpose is and to go after it with everything you have? Um, there's a pastor in the South. His name is Kyle Eidelman, and he wrote this book. This book is all about this topic right away, by the way. It's called Not a Fan, and um, I suggest you read it if you're interested in this kind of thing. He's also made this as a small group material. So if you guys are doing um, house groups, you could uh, pick up the book or the material and go through it together. But, but in it, he shares some stories. Here's one I can read to you. This, this guy's name is Tim Hartledge. This is his story. People used to call me the Miller Man. That kind of stuff happens when you're successful in the beer business. When I say successful, I mean it. Plenty of money, a couple boats, a second home, three cars. Sure, I had to work longer hours than most people, and I didn't get to see my family often as a result, but I didn't care. I thought I had it all figured out. Looking back, it's clear now that I was lost in so many ways. But at the time, I thought I was on the road everyone else wanted to be on. As for my marriage, well, I was acting more like a husband to the beer business than I was to my wife. But still, I couldn't see where I was headed. And that all changed when I had an encounter with a man named Art Nobles. Art's one of those radical Christians, you know, the kind who does crazy stuff trying to get people far from God to wake up and pay attention. And at a convention in New Orleans, I saw Art carrying a huge cross. I mean, literally. He was walking around with this enormous slab of wood, physically straining to carry it. And I told him he was going to hurt himself carrying that thing. But Art turned and looked at me in the eyes and said, God has a plan for your life. And for some reason, over the next three months, I couldn't get that thought out of my head. God has a plan for my life? What did that even mean? What was this plan for me? Two years after Art planted that seed, my wife and I were invited to an Easter pageant performance. Think uh, Easter extravaganza. But before I had a chance to decline, my wife agreed we'd go. I was less than excited to be there that evening, but once the story of Christ's life got underway, it hit something deep inside me. Seeing the way Jesus sacrificed for me, the way he suffered and strained, I was moved. And thinking of how Art Nobles suffered and strained just to get my attention, I realized how serious faith in Christ is. I knew Jesus was calling me to follow him, but I realized what that meant. It would mean leaving behind my career and my title of Miller Man. There was no way I could follow him without walking away from that. I worked hard for myself and for the beer business, but these days I'm giving everything I have as a follower of Jesus Christ. I never would have imagined that Jesus could use someone like me to be a part of inviting others to follow him. But these days, Miller Man is known as a follower of Jesus who runs a Christian radio station that spreads the invitation of Jesus to thousands of people every day. My name is Tim Hartledge. I'm not a fan of Jesus. I'm a follower. I mean, that's his story. Yours is going to be different. But, but are you willing to find out what it is? That's what Jesus is asking of the crowds. And so the last thing he says to them is, whoever has ears, let them hear. And this is an idiom in his, in his day. He simply means pay attention to these words. Take them seriously. You know, whether you have call, you've 
you have called yourself a Christian since childhood, or all of this is new to you, Jesus clearly defines the kind of relationship he wants to have with you. He doesn't sugarcoat it or dress it up. He tells us exactly what it means to follow him. Are you a follower of Jesus or just a tag-along Christian? And as you listen to these words from Luke 14 and hear Jesus give you the unedited version of what kind of relationship he wants with you, I can't help but wonder if that question is a little challenging to answer. These are challenging words. But they are also an amazing gift motivated by love. Jesus loves us. He calls us to a life that is bigger than ourselves. He challenges us to do the will of God and to do the work of the gospel. He has a wonderful plan for our lives. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And as you count the cost this morning, is it worth it to you? Will you bow your heads with me and pray? With your uh, heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to give you just a chance to reflect a little bit. And the worship team can come forward because we're going <clears> to <throat> soon serve communion together. Becoming a follower of Jesus starts with faith. And maybe that's what you feel right now in your heart, that you just want to start this journey. And you can do that right now in the quietness of your heart. You can say a prayer like this. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the, the things that I've done that are wrong. I know that that puts distance between me and you, and I can't do anything about it. But I believe that Jesus came, and he died on the cross, and he rose from the grave for me. And somehow, because of him, that I can have forgiveness with you, and a new start. God, will you please forgive me? Will you please give me your spirit to help me become a follower of Jesus? And for the others of you here in this room, you've been following Jesus for a while. Maybe you need to consider what it means for you to follow him completely. What steps do you need to take? What is God calling for you to do? In just a moment, we're going to receive communion. and This is a, an act of worship that Jesus has given to us. You can keep your, keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. Just listen. This is a, um, an act of worship that Jesus has given to us to remember who he is and what he did for us. We don't receive any special grace by, by doing this. We just simply remember and worship him. When we take the, the bread and we eat it, we remember that Jesus' body was broken for us. When, when we also consume the, the, the grape juice, we remember that Jesus' blood was spilled for us. And so when you're ready, while the, the band is playing, I know that there's servers who are going to come forward and hold these things, and you know your custom of coming forward and taking the, 
the bread and dipping it into the juice. And when you're ready, you can do that. Let me read this. These are the instructions that the Apostle Paul gives us. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen.